Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, you are good. We give these offerings to you, Lord, knowing that you are the giver of life, the breath that we have, um, and all that we have on this earth, Lord. We thank you um, for providing for us in incredible ways. And Lord, this morning we pray that you would meet us um, in the turmoil or the silence of our hearts and minds as you um, inform us by your word and inspire us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm Andrew, if we haven't met, Pastor Andrew, one of the pastors here, and we're digging into the resurrected life for the next eight weeks or so up to Pentecost, and then like Allison mentioned, we're going to shift gears and talk about the resurrected church at that point. So for now, what are characteristics of our lives if we are living in the resurrection as opposed to in the death or on Saturday when Jesus was dead and not alive? And then coming up, what does a church look like that is living into the power of the resurrection? What does that community look like? What does our ministry look like? What does our vision look like as we live this out together? Uh, Because faith, as much as we like to say in our culture it's an individual thing, there is no individualistic faith. Yeah, there's a personal component to faith, but faith is meant to be lived out and experienced in community in the church. So we're talking about the more personal side leading up to Pentecost, and then on Pentecost, we're going to shift gears and go into the summer talking about the community and the congregation as a whole. So the resurrected life means that we don't have to live on Saturday anymore. If you were here Sunday, hopefully you got that point on Easter. We don't have to live on Saturday anymore because our sins are paid for. We no longer have to live in fear of punishment. In fact, God's perfect love, the scriptures tell us, displayed in Jesus Christ It actually drives out fear. God's love and fear cannot coexist because fear has to do with punishment, anxiety, and so many more things. And so even more than our sin being paid for, which happened on Friday, right? Good Friday when Jesus said, it is finished. Even more than that, Saturday is gone because Jesus did not stay dead. Saturday is gone. Sunday came with an earth-shaking resurrection that changed the world. Because death cannot hold back the incredible power and the love of God. Christians who truly embrace and follow Jesus are going to be a people of Sunday. We're going to be a people of the resurrection. We're going to be a people of life, not fear of punishment and death, right? And we have a life to live then, right? It's not that Jesus has died for our sins, raised from the dead, and now we sit around twiddling our thumbs, waiting for eternal life someday. No, that life begins Whenever we and Jesus get on the same page, whenever we realize his love and his grace for us and realize that our belief in him and our faith in him actually gives us that abundant, eternal resurrection life today. And we don't just live as if we're avoiding death. We live as if there's something to live for. Something, not something negative that we stay away from, but something positive to draw us forward. So what is freedom then? Today we're talking about freedom. What does it mean to be free in Christ. Well, some definition snippets according to Merriam-Webster, freedom is the quality of the state of being free, right? That's just the word, freedom, such as the absence of necessity, the absence of coercion, the absence of constraint in choice or action. That's a pretty American definition of freedom. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. We want to make our own decisions, right? Also talks about liberation from slavery, from restraint, from bondage or from the power or lordship of somebody else, right? Independence, the quality or state of being exempt or released 
usually from something negative. So freedom, again, is a big deal in our country, right? And it's not just in our country. Freedom is something that is typically desired by humans all across the world. People do not like to live under the authority or the slavery or the bondage of somebody else, particularly somebody who they know does not have their best interests in mind or cannot demonstrate love for them, right? And so freedom is a big deal. It's one of the core values of this country's founding, that this America would exist free of the coercion or constraints from an overseas government, and that the citizens of this place, this reality, would not be subject to rulers far away without any sort of representation, right? This was a catalyst for the American Revolution. And so our representative government was formed out of that so that everybody would have some sort of voice in this system, that it wouldn't be a king, it wouldn't be a, a lord, it wouldn't be some authority unilaterally making all the decisions. And so this country was formed in an attempt to have freedom, this idea of freedom, be more wholly recognized and experienced in a way that had rarely been seen in the world before. And there were many religious convictions among the founding fathers, if you get into the history and study that, that influenced the way that this country was set up. So freedom for Americans, we have an idea of what that is. Now, I won't say it perfectly lines up with freedom in Christ, but we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Because in freeing ourselves from the bondage of sin, which we'll talk about here in a second, we're actually coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Our freedom, our freedom that we were created for and designed for, is actually going to be lived out under somebody's lordship. But that lordship is a good, good father who loves us and knows what's best for us because he made us, created us, and gave us life. So that's freedom. Now, what are we freed from? This is important, too. We're freed from bondage. The definition, according to Merriam-Webster, of bondage, it's a state of being bound, usually by compulsion as, as a law or mastery, such as captivity, serfdom, servitude, or subjugation, to a controlling person or force. So in many ways, some of our choosing and some of not of our choosing, we live as people of bondage. And often we don't even know the chains and the ropes that bind us. We don't recognize them. And so speaking in Christian terms and in biblical terms here, we are a people that need freeing. And if we don't recognize that we need freeing, we're going to continue to live in bondage. So this freedom that we want to live requires us, it requires us to be honest, first of all, about us, our condition, our decisions, our past, our present, and our future, and we need to be honest with God about what binds us and the thing the scriptures call sin that actually enslaves us. Even those of us in Christ, sin loses power, but there is still sin in part of our lives, and we often have parts of our lives that still need freeing by the grace of God. And this freedom can only be realized when we stop, when we stop compartmentalizing our faith and our lives, and we allow God full access to all that we are and all that we can be. This freedom that God offers us through the resurrection is one that is all-encompassing and it is holistic, and we can trust God with our whole lives that he can free us from anything that pulls us back or entangles us or binds us. So our main text for today that we're going to dig into is our Romans text. So let's get into that. This is Romans, where was my reference? Yes, yeah, 6, thank you. Romans 6, 1 through 14, and we're going to walk through that piece by piece here. 
What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Paul writes, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? For all those times that we choose to sin, just because we know that God is understanding and will forgive us, this verse kind of hits us in the heart. It should a little bit. I think that's the point. Paul was writing to a people that thought that sin was permissible because of Jesus' grace. So they were willingly tying themselves, tethering themselves, chaining themselves to something that went against God's will, something that separated themselves from God because they thought that was freedom. Living in freedom in Christ means that we don't sin freely. If we use our sin freely, if we use our freedom to sin, we are just tying ourselves back up into bondage. Because when we use our freedom to sin, we are binding ourselves right back up to the very thing Jesus died to save us from. So if you are living under the idea that God's grace is a tool to use in our times of choosing, when we decide to rebel against God, we're missing the whole point of the cross, right? That's not the abundant, resurrected life that God has called us to live. We're missing the point of Jesus' death. We're missing the point of the resurrection and abundant life. Now, sometimes I get frustrated, right? You've all seen it on the news. Somebody is arrested for doing something illegal, and you find out they were just released from jail a few days before that, right? And you're like, why? Why did they do this? They, they might have been in prison for a year or 10 years or 30 days or 50 years, and all of a sudden, they are using their freedom to do what? To bind themselves right back up to the prison system. And I get frustrated by that, but you want to know why I think I get so frustrated? Because that's me. How many times do I use my freedom to engage with something or to think a certain way or sins of omission? How, how many times do I use my freedom to chain myself right back up to the things that Jesus died to save me from? So it hits me right here too. How many times have I used my freedom in Christ to subject myself to the chains of sin? Something for us to think about today. Far too often, and, and I pray, Lord, heal me, heal us from this way of thinking and living that we have. Heal us from this. Continuing with verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So baptism, this sacrament that we practice and join into, this sacrament that pairs God's word with the physical element of water, this gets at the heart of what baptism is. This is what it means. Buried is a pretty complete term, right? Buried. Baptism buries, buries us. And although some churches sprinkle water and other churches put you completely under the water and practice a believer baptism versus infant baptism, the importance here, what God is doing in and through the baptism, is a spiritual reality of a burial to sin and death. We are literally dying to our sin. And then we come out of the waters. And a resurrection to freedom in life in Christ. That's what Paul is getting at here. I'm going to continue with verse 5. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. 
because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So these few verses are important. Um, We often celebrate and we lift up the joy of Easter and the resurrection without fully comprehending the pain of Good Friday and the cost of death. This is a conditional statement that Paul is using here, the ifs. Pay attention to the ifs in the scriptures. If we have been united with him in a death like his, that is crucifixion, that is dying, that is burial, like we talked about with baptism, if, then we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. This leads us to believe that the resurrection is only possible through the death, right? You're like, of course. If Jesus didn't die, he wasn't resurrected. In the same way, if we don't die to our sin, we aren't resurrected into this new life. And so dying to sin is a really important part of this concept and this spiritual reality for us to recognize. Our freedom is only possible through death. And we cannot have the resurrection and the freedom without the death. And so this is why we preach something called repentance. Repentance, turning away from our sin and turning back to our Father in heaven so that we can experience life. Repentance means that we are actively and in some ways through the work of the Holy Spirit that we don't even know is happening, we are turning away from that sin We are dying to ourselves. We are dying to that sin so that we may experience life in Jesus Christ. Because if we do not give our lives to Christ and die in our old sinful ways, we're not truly going to live. It's a counterfeit life. Continuing with verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that Christ, we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has a mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Another big thing Paul is saying here for us today. If we die with him, we are raised with him. That's a promise. The same way that Jesus lives today is a life that we can live and participate in today too through the power of the resurrection. Yes, death is still part of our world. We see it, we experience it. And most of us here are gonna die if Jesus doesn't return in the next 50 years or so. Most of us in this room will no longer be living in the way that we are today. But that death has no power over us in Christ Jesus anymore. It has no mastery over us. It should not drive us from a sense of fear. There is no fear even in death It has been stripped of its fear by our Savior and God because of the life of the resurrection. So the life we live now, the life we live, even though death is still a reality in and of this earth, we know that that is not the end because Jesus has proved it and he invites us to experience that life with him now and death is just gonna be a part of that life as we move from here to God's presence, right? So when we sit down and think about it at the end of the day, I hope that will give you some peace, and I hope that we won't be contributing to this fear that our culture lives with when it comes around death and dying. Because you know what? We're going to be, we are going to be in a better place, and not just as some trivial saying, right? Our reality from broken sinfulness to resurrected eternal life with Jesus Christ is a reality you don't want to miss out on, and it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be glorious. Verse 11, in the same way now, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. We do have a problem. We love Jesus, we want to live for Jesus, and yet we still let sin reign in our mortal bodies, right? Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. This is, this is not Paul giving a law. This is Paul observing the fact that there is a law and that we all go along with it and we all break it and we all are subject to it. It is Paul giving a warning and he's pleading with these Christians and he's pleading with us today to live life in Christ rather than live in the chains of slavery. And so when we give into sin, when we live under the yoke of that sin, under the burden of that sin, that sin is actually the Lord of our lives, not Jesus. <clears throat> and so a life in Christ means less of this. We're not going to be perfect. Sorry. Not even me, Allison. I'm not perfect either. It means less of it, though. It means becoming more Christ-like so that hopefully in five years or ten years we can look back on our lives and say, God has done some healing and work in my life. God is growing me. He's helping me to get released from this slavery to sin and showing me what it means to live an abundant life that is not ruled and reigned by fear. So a life in Christ means less of the sin, and I'd say particularly less willful sin too, because sometimes we know we choose things that are not good and pleasing to God. And we want to live more a life of grace and forgiveness and repentance. Verse 13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself, every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. This talks to this compartmentalization issue we have, right? And I had a conversation with the confirmation students about this too this morning. Because one of them thought, hey, maybe our whole lives should be based on Christ. I'm like, yes, preach. And, and so we made this little circle, and this circle, like, we view this circle as our life, and we have all these circles in it that are the parts of our life, and we put faith and church in one of those circles, whereas God would like our whole lives. He wants your whole life. And he wants everything you do, all the good things, your vocation, your sports, your careers, your schooling, whatever that is, your family, he wants all of that to be part of your life in Jesus Christ so that our foundation is in Christ. So this compartmentalization that we face, Paul writes, do not offer any part of yourself to sin. Any part. Is it possible to keep our bodies from doing something sinful but to sin in our minds? Well, yes, it is. Yes, it is. I might not stab somebody for real, but I can sure wish them harm in my mind and in my heart, right? So why should I keep my body from sin, but then allow my mind to be bound by it, right? This is one of those things Paul is getting at. Don't compartmentalize. Or this example, is it possible for me to be an exemplary pastor and church leader here, but at home to be a hard and an unloving father? It's possible. I can compartmentalize my life that way. But why would I offer a vocational part of my life to God and tether my family life to sin? There's freedom from that in Christ too. Why would I continue to live in death over here and try to live in a life over here? This freedom that God desires for us is for every part of our lives. Even the parts that we think are irredeemable. Even the parts that we are ashamed of and feel guilt over. 
Paul writes here in verse 13 that we are to offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So our bodies, our minds, our time, our lives, all that we are, will be used for something. For righteousness, not for sin. They'll be used for life, for resurrection, for freedom, for righteousness. Or we can use them for sin, for the perpetuation of sin and death. And so then, what's it going to be for us? What's it going to be? Friends, it is for freedom that you have been set free. It is for freedom that Christ died for our sins, those things that separate us from God. And more so, it is for freedom that Christ raises us from the dead to experience eternal life. Now, in a spiritual way, eternally, in a permanent, glorious way glorified way. And I want to say this today. If you struggle with this, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. I think we're all there, right? Many sins, many addictions, many thought patterns, these things are hard to break free from. They are hard. And oftentimes, we cannot even do so without help from somebody else, from the Holy Spirit, from counseling, or many other different really good tools that we have inside the church and even in our culture. But we need help to break free from these things. So don't heap condemnation on yourself. Don't, don't feel guilty. Don't put yourself down because there's this thing here or this thing here that you just consistently struggle with. Um, that makes you human and that puts you in the same boat as everyone else in this room because we all have those things. But this freedom that we hear about today truly is something that can encourage us. It can prevent us from that condemnation and self-shame. It can give us hope. It can entice us into a deeper experience of God's perfect love for us and his rich grace. And that's the gospel, friends. That's the good news. So as we go forth this week, I want to encourage you to do a couple of things. First, reflect on the cost of sin. Dying to sin means that we recognize it and that we say, I don't want that to be part of my life anymore. And there was a cost to that sin, and his name was Jesus. And the tool was the cross. Reflect on the cost of sin and how when we downplay sin or when we explain away sin, it doesn't actually downplay or explain away the cost and Jesus' sacrifice. So let's be honest and real about the cost of sin. And then the second thing is this. Reflect on the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection. And the life that Jesus has invited us into through that resurrection. And then third, I would ask that you pray. Pray simply and simply pray that Jesus would shower you with his grace to help you understand and see what is sin and what is freedom and to help you experience and choose and live into the resurrected life of freedom in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this Romans passage today and how it clearly lays out for us that we are made to be a people of freedom, not a people of sin and death. And that the reality that we experience through knowing Jesus Christ and through our baptisms, and through following Jesus Christ, it is a reality 
that becomes less and less burdened and tainted by the fear of death and the bondage of sin, and it becomes more and more free to live as you have created us to live. Today, Lord, may we taste and experience the freedom. May you entice us, Lord. Hang that freedom in front of us so that we may chase after it. Help us to repent and turn away from our sins and experience a resurrected life in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.